Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. How are you, Stacey? I'm doing well, and how about you, John? Are you home this week? I'm home this week. I'm actually making a point of staying home till I have a better sense of this new virus. Um, so, oh. <laughs> so I, I'm staying out of airports. You know, the Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Chicago are the places where this is hitting because those are the gateways from um, Asia. Um, and um, it, I need I need a little bit of time to make sure that everybody in those airports isn't getting infected right now. Right? And it's yeah. just too early to tell. So um, I'm missing a couple of things this week, in fact, because I'm not really interested in going to the airport. Yeah. Well, it's it's a big issue for for those of us who travel. A lot. It's a big issue for the world as a, as a whole. There was an interesting article in the Fast Company. It, it didn't end up putting it in our list of conversations this week, but about how you know the environmental shift will change how we think about work by tw- you know by 2040, um, with the you know increasing um, environmental disasters that are going to be happening. But I think there's also probably likely going to be some changes in how we work due to the possibility of more aggressive, um, you know, bio issues, right? With the, with the, you know, people who have more aggressive um, sicknesses, more aggressive um, things that aren't being dealt with by antibiotics because they, they, they've become antibiotic resistant, right? Um, yeah. So, so this is, you know, the idea of working from home, staying in your community, um, definitely sounds oftentimes like it is the safer choice in many conversations, but um, it is sad to think that we would lose the ability to sort of move around and travel as much as we like to, right? No, I think it's just learning how to do things a little differently that we're really talking about. Yeah. So, so um, what's in the mailbag? Well, it's been a busy week. As much as going on in other areas, um, we um, definitely in the HR tech space, um, we are are ramping up for the year finally. I think, you know, the, the, the kind of slow getting started in January has shifted into high gear now. Um, so there's a couple of things that I think are worth talking about this week. One is a good friend of ours, uh, Yvette Cameron, um, launched in conjunction with a, with, um, a uh several other organizations, a new sort of focus on blockchain, which is basically uh, Velocity Career Labs and uh, Velocity Network Foundation, which is what Yvette, I think it works for, um, are partnering with multiple sort of HR technology organizations or HR services organizations to build what they're calling the first internet of careers platform. So we definitely can have a conversation about that today. there's also um, a lot more conversation taking place about ServiceNow. So if you didn't follow us last week, um, ServiceNow had done an acquisition last week. This week they've done another acquisition of a, another technology company as well as launching an industry solution strategy um, for from some very specific industries, banking and telecommunications being the first in their list. Um, so, so well worth having a conversation about really what is ServiceNow in this, this new space that they're carving out. Um, we did have some funding this week. Just Work raised $50 million. Uh, Just Works is a, a technology company, but focusing on PEOs. And so it's probably um, much more in this SMB business space, but 
fifty million dollars at a at a um, their E round um, of investments means there's probably some interest there as continuing to move forward with SMB investments. We also saw Catalant Technologies um, raising $35 million in another Series E funding to fuel enterprise growth and scale. So Catalant um, started out as kind of a, a job matching board, but has turned into sort of a resource planning board, so worth having conversation about. And then another big investment was Shift. Um, Shift is a relocation company that raised $15 million to simplify employee relocation, um, probably along the lines of what we're used to with MoveGuides or Topia, um, and uh, worth having conversation. If we get time today, then, it's probably well worth discussing that all of this technology that we talk about has really big implications for organizations who probably need to be following some more um, uh, HR-specific regulation. So Chipotle was fined $1.37 um, over um, thousands of child labor abuses um, this week. If any of you haven't been kind of following that, it's worth um, watching. Um, and then also we have some interesting news this week about Google planning to create a new messaging app that brings all of its collaboration technologies together, which is quite a few. There's a lot of Google, you know, Gmail, Google Docs, Google Hangouts, all those things, um, as well as Microsoft Office and Zoom technology together. So busy week we, we start out. Where would you like to start, uh, John? Any of those places sound more interesting than the other? Oh, you, you know, there's one other thing that, that you didn't get a chance to talk about that, that I'd really like to start with, and that is WorkLogic's Employee Retention Leader Awards. Um, um, and this is... This is an interesting thing. This is a five-dimensional analysis of companies um, to um, determine who has the best overall retention in, uh, across these five dimensions. And so um, they came up with a list, and the list included uh, DuPont, Honeywell, Delta, Merck, Amazon, Microsoft, Intel, Best Buy, American Express, Cisco, and Coca-Cola. Um, a, a high density of technical companies, but these are the places that people are least likely to leave in the Fortune 100. Um, and, and it's an interesting idea that this this information about your company can be collected, generated, produced, and evaluated and published um, based on publicly available information. Um, and so, and where are they getting ahead. this public information? Is this is this sort of just how many people have left or been retained by the organization, or are they, they also scraping they information use, from? So, so it's a it's a complex it's a complex um, thing. They use 40,000 data points to produce a huge data model um, that does wow. a, a variety of things, uh, but they, they just hoover um, uh, publicly available information, right? And so you can see um, in, in annual reports, for instance, you can see top-level numbers that will give you some hint about this. Um, and so it's just a question of piecing it together in an automated way to do the um, analysis that they do. But it is it is amazing, and and I believe that they are saying that they can do this analysis for any company. 
Um, uh, and so this is a total retention. What they measure is the risk that your employees are going to leave. Uh, it's the total yeah, they're calling it a TRR score. Talent, score. T- uh, talent yeah. retention, um, TRR score, right? Yeah. And it is um, um, a calculation that they do on a routine basis. And I, I read through the uh, the award requirements, and the reward requirements are that you have to have a certain level or lower, um, and, uh, and that you have to have that certain level or lower over the course of a year with one month being an exception, right? So you have to you have to hit this level pretty consistently. It's a complex story, but it seems to me that this is another kind of grading of companies that investors would be crazy about, right? This is really oh, yeah. what what HR data looks like when it is delivered to the broader market, right? And so it's and, so and do you is, know this, this from your awesome. reading? This is very interesting. Do you know from your reading, John, do they make any judgment calls about sort of talent you want to leave versus talent you don't want to leave? So, so you know, we know of very specific organizations that, that will cut the bottom 10% or basically run performance processes that really make it the bottom 10% want to leave, right? Do they make any conversation about that? No, no, not a bit, not a bit. I, I don't think they claim to be able to see inside processes and procedures and compare them. They just <clears throat> notice the the sort of the likelihood that an individual employee will leave. And so yeah. uh, that, now that's, that's an interesting thing. And it's shaped as much by, uh, uh, from what I've seen of the data model, it's sensitive enough to understand that when the stock price falls, attrition goes up. Um, and and it looks at those kinds of external factors. So so when the CEO changes, attrition goes up. Um, yeah. These are these are organizational um, principles that I don't think are very well understood because everybody is so busy working inside of their organization. Um, and so it seems to me that these folks are discovering. Um, they're discovering new ways to think about organizations and new ways to quantify organizational performance. And that might actually be pretty important given this shift away from the stockholder as the primary object of value and towards the employee as the primary object of value. Well, exactly. And and I think what's really interesting here is that I think there's been a, a desire to figure out the right um, sort of metrics to measure in this space, right? I mean, that's, that's, you know, I think everybody has agreed that there needs to be something that measures sort of your workforce readiness or your workforce capabilities. It's a big part of your ability as an organization to, to succeed. And we, you know, in Europe, they have some requirements for public companies to share engagement scores, right? Um, but they haven't really sort of panned out in a way I think people expected because engagement scores are are very tough. They're, they're, they're sort of, as you noted before, the sentiment um, of, of what people are willing to share in an environment, depending on how much they trust that the information is going to be um, managed appropriately. 
what I understand from this is is that they're definitely looking at all those external factors. I, I mean, one of the, the points they have here, you, you have a, an example they gave of a Delta sort of, you know, 2020 employee retention leader ranking sheet, right? And one of the factors they put there is 85% of the employees least likely to consider an external job opportunity. So they're they're looking at things like, you know, who is out there searching for jobs, obviously, right? And that's a really interesting metric to include on, you know, the idea of risk for your organization, if that's what the kind of thing you're trying to track. So, yeah, no, this is really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. And this, this company, Workforce Logic, um, is a private equity-backed um, RPO. Right, and so they ha- they already they already have to understand the market. That's the nature of their business to have to understand the market in the aggregate. Um, but it doesn't appear to me that uh, they're making the claim that this tool does something for their business. It's more like the Sierra Cedar model of um, research, where yep. having the having the branded research is uh, such a good uh, a strengthener for the brand that you don't try to jimmy it. Yeah, it makes it va- makes it valuable in the sense that that it it's good for the industry as a whole. That that means it's good for every you know everyone in the organization as well. Um, and and we're seeing more of that. I mean, lots of organizations are doing this. I mean, ADP's got their uh, very specific sort of industry rankings around. Um, you know, hiring and open positions in the market. We're seeing paychecks do some of this with their SMB market analysis. Um, these are the companies that have the ability to gather the data in some cases, right? Right. Right. So that's that. Now let's talk about um, Yvette's new project, the Velocity Network. Yeah, and I think this is actually a good tie into this, right? This idea of, uh, you know, that the companies have the data and the insights um, is a big conversation around employee profiles, right? Which is who knows you better than your company, right? And can validate everything that you're trying to put forward from a work perspective. But there are some things you want to share and some things you don't want to share. And so the idea of a sort of floating employee profile has been out in the market for a while, what I understand from what Yvette's doing here with Velocity Career Labs and Velocity Network Foundation is that they have created a consortium of HR technology founders who are basically saying we are going to put together a globally accessible open source blockchain powered internet of careers profile kind of environment, right? Um, which is basically a place that where you, and, it, and if it's done with support of the idea of the blockchain model, you should be able to not get things, like nothing should be able to be removed from that or hidden, but you also as an end user should in, in, in theory be able to say, this is what I want to show and this is what I don't want to show to people in that environment. Um, the founding companies, there's some pretty big companies here. We have Aon's assessment, uh, Decisive, I apologize. I don't. I think it's decisive to pronounce it. Cornerstone on Demand, Higher Right, Corn Ferry, National Student Clearinghouse, Ramstat, SAP, Sum Total, SHL, Ultimate Software, Unit Four, and Upwork, along with 
uh, Velocity Career Labs and Zip recruiters. There's some big names in this, John. What do you think about this? Is 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 this? Do we need an open source model for this that where everybody sort of works together on it? I don't know what problem it solves. It's it's it's. Um, um, so, so I've been watching this industry for 25 years, and periodically somebody comes along and they're going to uh, revolutionize the resume. They're going to replace the resume. They're going to do something that does that. Um, and that's as close to um, the problem that they're trying to solve here as I can get. I, I, I don't know. I don't know of anything else that's that's big enough that the idea that somehow resumes can be standardized. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question and, and it sort of misses the fact that resumes are marketing documents, right? The point of a resume is not an accurate representation of your skills. The point of the resume is to get an interview. <laughs> um, Right, it's a marketing document. It's not. It's not a degree certificate. It's not a diploma. It's a. It's a. I'm interested in going to work for Stacy Harris, and I understand that these are the things she's trying to do. So I'm going to describe my experience in a way that um, um, aligns with what Stacy's trying to accomplish, because that's good banners. It's good marketing on my part. It helps her make a clearer decision, and so. The, the ideal resume is tailored to every delivery. Absolutely tailored to every delivery because the object is not to dump a lottery ticket into the lottery machine and help you get pulled, but the object is to influence the selection process so that it selects you. Um, and there's already kind of a really big problem in the industry, which which is not talked about very much, but when you have a million people applying for a job or 10,000 people applying for a job, there are a ton of people who are the highest ranked candidates. <laughs> like, like a ton. The, the, the trouble people have in finding people is often that there are so many people who are identically qualified for a job that you can't select between them, right? And then this is, this is for my money, this is the fundamental technical problem in HR is that search is bad. Um, and, um, and, and so standardizing the data is one way of thinking about how you improve search. And that's, I think what this is, it's a way of standardizing the data. Um, um, but the data itself and the way that people think about the data itself is actually the problem rather than a lack of standards. And we don't have really good ways for talking about how people actually do their work. That's a problem. Uh, well, so, anyhow, I, I get what you're saying. I, I'm going to push back a little bit on on some of that. I actually I, I agree with you in, in many sense that maybe we might be solving the wrong problem. Um, but I also think we have a bit of an issue in the market right now. Of I, I think you're you're we don't know how to talk about how people work, and we don't have a good sense of skill sets, and we don't have a good sense of um, 
the the actual things that people can do versus sort of the 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 blown up marketing things, right? Um, but more importantly, I think the 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 conversation is is how you do it isn't always as important as or how you do it is more important in some cases than what you can do, right? Which is the other thing that gets missed when you're just looking at a skills and what you were talking about there. And what I think this could do, but we'll see, but I mean, there is some sense that if multiple neutral organizations are adding to the same database or at least following the same database standards, you could end up with content that could be analyzed and assessed at a much faster and better rate than what we're dealing with right now because everybody's got their own individual database, right? Um, now, I sort of saw this a little bit in the learning space when we did, you know, the, the standards that went around SCORM compliance. It took a lot of work, a lot of energy for SCORM compliant, you know, learning objects to sort of come to the forefront and lots of technologies eventually bought into it. Um, it was a it was a government funded uh, project initially that was sort of put together actually by the airline industry because they needed to get content from various vendors and they needed to have that content all play on a single platform and so they they really pushed for SCORM compliant what they called SCORM compliant um, basically modules so that people could actually rate and rank the learning at the same level and it worked for a while. But what happened eventually is that the industry outpaced the regulation, basically, right? And when right. the industry outpaced it, oops, sorry, I think I just someone was just trying to call through. But the industry outpaced the regulation, and when someone out when it outpaced it, the the value of SCORM compliance went away. And I do wonder if that's something that could happen with this environment. You know, it might be needed to get things started, but eventually the industry is going to all want to create their own profiles. I would assume we're already seeing it with multiple vendors like Workday who have their own profile conversations. That would be my biggest concern about it, but I think it's a good idea. I think, I think it's, it's, it's an idea that people will try to figure out a lot, but, but the critical things in employee profiles are not previous employment, professional achievements, and educational certifications. It's the meat of the work that's been done, right? And um, um, I didn't see anything here um, about developing a taxonomy that describes how work gets done, right? So, so a software engineer in one place and a software engineer in another place theoretically do the same things, but in, in reality, they could have vastly different jobs. Um, and um, it requires that the individual describe the work that they did in order for somebody to understand it. And the only system that could replace that is one that is exercised by every hiring manager so that every hiring manager describes the behavior of their employees in the same way. And that's not going to happen. So anyhow. That um, is the conundrum, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it's, a, it's, it's, it's important. This is an important initiative. I don't, mean, I don't mean to be a total wet blanket about this. This is a really important initiative. Uh, but the problem is big. The problem is really big. 
and um, the idea that that you could you could do this uh, easily in a committed environment is is um, hard, right? Um, there are a lot of people looking at the question of how do you quantify what work actually is. Um, there's got to be 30 or 40 initiatives like that right now. Um, and so you'd want to see some of those people involved in this as sort of a minimum. Yeah. Well, and I think they're working in that direction. So it'll, it'll be it'll be good to see sort of who else signs on over time. I think that's, that's one of the big things to watch. And secondly, to see, to your point, what they add to this idea of a career profile, right? You know, is it going to stay small? Is it going to become a big thing? Is, you know, what's going to be the idea around who can see what and how detailed it gets about the job role? And those are all valid questions. And, you know, knowing Yvette and the group that's working on this, I'm sure they're questions that they are probably considering themselves. So it's a step in a direction. And, you know, I think that the, the conversation for the market is it's questions and conversations we need to be having because um, right now I think, there's a lot of money and investment going into a lot of ideas around this space, right? Um, and we probably need to have more conversation before we have investments in some cases. So. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, this this leads right to, I think, the work that you're doing at IRAM, which is which is trying to figure out how to build some model of technical competence for the industry. Uh, and um, um, that question is how, how do you get technical competence in the industry and then how do you get the industry to think as an entity? Medicine does it, law does it, the other, the other great professions do it. And so the question here is uh, on a level, how do you professionalize HR? How do you professionalize HR? And how do you professionalize HR technology as well? Or maybe maybe a better term is, and which is what HR uh, IRAM sort of has built on is information management, right? Which is which isn't just the technology, but it's the flow of information. Which actually, and you're right. I mean, I think you know there are tools that we can do to, to do this. We've got processes, we've got certifications. There's a lot of different ways that we go about doing this. Um, associations are one model. Um, foundations are another model. Um, but the technology vendors themselves are trying to handle some of this. And I think, you know, as a wrap-up in our conversation, Dave, maybe a last conversation is about what's going on at ServiceNow, because I think this is exactly the, the thing they think they're going to try and solve as well, not in exactly the HR space, but in the IT space as a whole. Um, so ServiceNow acquired a uh, another company this week, which is the second company in two weeks, um, called Advancing Services uh, – or. Um, which is an AI company. ServiceNow announces it signed an agreement to acquire Passage AI, a Mountain View, California-based conversational AI platform company um, that will help services now deep learning AI capabilities um, be accelerated. Um, at the same time, they announced a uh, new solution strategy where they are partnering particularly with Deloitte on this, it sounds like, that this is one of their major partners on this, but ServiceNow is going to create solutions specifically for industries like banking to simplify the middle to back office operations for banking or companies like telecommunications, which will align customer care and service assurance to transform how communication services provide and deliver customer experiences. 
it sounds like they're 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 creating a workflow environment that will lay on top of all the business systems inside of these organizations to do better information sharing and uh, knowledge sort of sharing across the organization. Is this something a technology could maybe solve instead of maybe associations or foundations? Um, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by ServiceNow because ServiceNow is an overlay um, on existing enterprise tools. Um, and it, it seems to me that what they do is they reduce right, enterprise systems have this um, need to be universal. So they always have lots and lots of functionality that nobody uses. Um, and it seems to me that what ServiceNow does is it um, gives you an interface that doesn't have all that extra BS in it. Is that right? Is that how you see it? Maybe, or it, or, or it sort of elevates the conversations that are happening between the systems, right? So, it, so it's basically all the when, – when, you know, you can do your job every day and the system's kind of working the way it's supposed to be, but it's when you run into a problem or, or there's an exception to the rule that you start asking questions or you start needing to go in a different direction, that seems to be where ServiceNow picks up its workflow processes, right, which is the help desk space, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah. It just seems to me that they're getting bigger than that, right? That 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 um, that they're starting to be competitors with the companies that they used to serve. Yeah. Yeah. That I would agree with definitely. Yeah. Because they're basically saying you don't need maybe this system or that system. We can't replace. We're not going to replace it all, but we're going to sit on top of it. We'll be your front view, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, well, what an interesting conversation today. Um, um, thanks, as usual, Stacey. It was, it was a delight, and thanks, everybody, for listening in. Um, you've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumpter. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.